It's 1208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're live streaming. Go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can watch the first couple segments of the program. Eric Bilstadt, I have a confession to make. Okay. I have done something. I have done something that I have mocked people for doing for decades, and I did it this morning. And I've got to take my medicine for this. I, I do. I, 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 I do. Now, in, in, in my defense, it's it's been kind of a hectic morning. You know, last night I went to his birthday party uh, to, uh, for, for two of my friends, Kathy and Julie. Happy birthday. So I've been running late. I've been chasing stuff this morning and doing all these different things. And I, I sit down, and our program director sends out this note saying that you need to have all sorts of vacation. Any vacation that you want to take, you have to have in by the end of the sure. end, end of the year. And, and I think I'd already done that. But again, I, I'm trying to be the good, responsible employee. And I'm trying to do all these other different things. So I, 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 I kind of looked at my calendar and I saw the vacation time that I had left. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I put that in and I, I send, I, I get the reply. I do it right away because I know that if I don't do it right away, I will forget about it. And then, you know, then, you know, all havoc breaks loose. All right. Well, I did something that I mock everybody for doing. Yeah, thanks to you, I know exactly what you right. want off and what I you want. I hit reply all. <laughs> I am the guy that mocks people for hitting the reply all. I hit the reply all mm-hmm. button. So all of my colleagues now know how much vacation time that I have between now and the end of the year. So thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> Two things. One... It's okay if it's an accident. That happens. But what drives me crazy is when people do it intentionally. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like they want everyone to see that they're saying, "Hey, nice job," and they reply to everybody. And, right. Yeah. yeah. No. No. This this was a this was a complete accident because I, I'm trying to take care of the, this one piece of you know. I mean, no, it's important. You want to make sure you have your vacation mm-hmm. in. But I'm I'm trying to do other things to get ready for this radio show, and I hit reply all, and it's one of those. Damn. <laughs> and then because there's nothing you can do about it. And, and again, there's, there's nothing, there is nothing embarrassing in the reply all thing that I sent out other than the fact that everybody we work with yep. now knows that I have X number of days left of vacation. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot actually. <laughs> well, hmm. that's, you, you're here for a long enough time and they give you a bunch of vacation time, but it's kind of like, and knows that I want to take the last two weeks of the year off. That's pretty much it. So the cat is out of the bag. But I, <laughs> I, um, I, my fault, I have mocked people for reply all for the lengthiest time and I did it today. So, I'm owning up. Yeah, well, I deleted it, so don't worry. <laughs> it's like, why the hell is it? Why do I care what Wagner's doing here? You know, it's all right. Um, but in any event, so I, I fess up to that. So next time I mock somebody else for the reply all, you can go back and you can check the tape on this. We have got a lot of ground to cover on today's show. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, State Senator Leah Vukmir, who is the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate against Tammy Baldwin, the Democrat. She was at the big rally involving President Trump in Mosinee yesterday. She's going to join us in about 25 minutes or so. I want to talk about the rally. I also want to talk about a number of the ads that are saturating the airway, and including some ads that are running on this program being run by Tammy Baldwin. Um, and we're going to kind of ask Leah Vukmir about what the truth of these is. So that's going to be coming up in about 25 minutes. We're also going to weigh in on the fiasco that was parking for the big rock show last night at Miller Park and the the Brewers response which candidly I found a little bit interesting. I want to start off though with something that is going to be on the ballot in a number of communities a week from Tuesday at the midterm election. If you live in Milwaukee, Dane, Lacrosse and Rock County, you will be asked out of various questions essentially asking you whether or not you believe that marijuana 
should be legalized for personal use for people 21 and and older. All right, you're going to get those. In addition, in 10 other counties, there's going to be, an adv- these are advisory referendums. They do not have the force of law. 10 counties are going to ask about medical marijuana use. Brown, Clark, Forrest, Kenosha, Langlade, Lincoln, Marathon, Marquette, Portage, and Sauk. And in Eau Claire and Racine County, there's going to be referendums with multiple questions covering legalizing recreational and medical uses as well as imposing taxes. So marijuana is going to be on the ballot. These are all advisory referendums, which means that there's no binding effect to these. So let, let me just tell you one of the things that's going on. One of the reasons you have the legalized pot referendums on the ballot, particularly in Milwaukee and Dane County, is an effort to try to turn out the anti-Scott Walker vote, because Scott Walker has, of course, been very clear that he does not support legalization of marijuana. So the thinking is, if we can get people who are going to vote in favor of legalizing marijuana and maybe motivate them to come out because they feel strongly about this, chances are if they vote, they will vote against Governor Walker. So there, there is that element that, that's going on. And there is, of course, as oftentimes happens, a political element to why referendum questions, advisory referendum questions, end up on ballots. So let's let's understand that's going on. Having said that, though, it does raise kind of this interesting question that's out there. Now, I think, and I have always made this argument, and I know some of you disagree with me, I think there is a distinction between medical marijuana and regular and legalization of recreational use of marijuana. Uh, If anybody is ever in a situation where either you yourself or you have a loved one who is facing a terminal illness, let's say cancer, you understand, you know, some of the really heavy duty drugs that doctors prescribe to, to deal with that. And in those cases, I got to tell you, I, I've, I've never had an issue with medical marijuana. I mean, the idea is, let's say you've got somebody, you have somebody who's got a terminal, a diagnosis of terminal cancer. They're taking stuff like, you know, oxycodone or, or whatever, you know, the, the heavy duty opioids to deal with, again, the, 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 the effects of cancer. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, for somebody like that who's, you know, legitimately being prescribed these heavy duty drugs because of their illness, if, if a little bit of medical marijuana helps, helps them sleep or helps ease the pain or helps, um, motivate their appetite or something like that, who cares in those types of cases? And I understand there's a potential for abuse of that. But again, I, I come back to you know, medical marijuana I see as different than the recreational use of marijuana. But I understand more and more states have gone that way um, in terms of legalizing marijuana use. So let's tee this up. It's going to be, again, a referendum question, not the medical marijuana question, but the l- recreational use of marijuana. It's going to be on the ballot in Milwaukee, Dane, La Crosse, and Rock counties. Is it time once and for all for, I guess, Wisconsin to hop on the, the Colorado bandwagon and legalize recreational use of marijuana? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How will these referendums do? Will they pass overwhelmingly? And if they do, what what should we do with that? Should we say that, okay, now there is a mandate in Wisconsin to legalize marijuana. Let's let the public have what they want. 
or should we continue to make it illegal? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll be back to discuss in just a moment. Right now, again, 1215, and again, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. If you want to participate in that fashion, I will tell you where I come down on this in, as well in just a minute. It's 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, let me get to the point. Let's roll another joint and turn the radio loud. I'm too long. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, there are going to be a number of pro-marijuana um, referendum questions on various ballots. Four counties, including Dane County, Milwaukee County, La Crosse, and Rock County, um, are all going to be, that's Janesville, are all going to be voting on an advisory referendum as to whether marijuana should be legalized. And then there's another 10 counties that are going to have advisory referendums on whether or not medical marijuana should be authorized. How will these turn out? How should they turn out? Let's start with Shane. Shane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Uh, I believe I'm a type 2 diabetic, and uh, I believe uh, recreational weed should be legalized. Uh, Alcohol is a very good choice for me. Uh, due to my diabetes, and uh, I should have a choice when I go out. And if I choose to smoke a joint over having a beer, that's my decision, and I stand behind it 100%. Um, are you concerned about, not necessarily you, but if you legalize it, that that's going to increase use, maybe use among young people, and that might lead to bad things, or aren't you worried about that? Uh, no, because we uh, live in America, and if America does what America needs to do, we're going to... Uh, combat that with all the information we like to put out there and uh we can we can curb that okay good enough thanks to call 414-799-1620 you know it's interesting this question um i things have have definitely definitely changed over the years with regard to this here's a couple texts i think legalization of marijuana is going to be good for the community decriminalizing it will drastically reduce drug charges in the prison population i let me just stop there. I, I think that's a that's a red herring. There's not that many people that are in prison for marijuana prison for marijuana charges. Um, period. Um, but in any event, that that's the the thought that's there. Mark writes, I fully support any and all efforts, and for this reason, I voted against Scott Walker for the first time in my life that I voted Democrat. It made me cringe, but it was a deal breaker. And you know you're exactly right about how reason this referendum is on the ballot in some communities is to try to inspire anti Walker voters four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're at WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Um, we happen to have a place in in uh, Colorado for many years. We go back and forth between Wisconsin and Colorado, and so we've seen obviously over the last almost five years of of uh, full mm-hmm. recreational. Um, uh, legality. Um, we've seen what's happened. So my my perspective is, you know, in Wisconsin at least, we've we've heard, hey, what about this, this, and this? Well, now there's data to to look at and base those those uh, those thoughts and opinions on. So I, I think they should look at the real data in the states that are legal, and I think it would disprove a lot of the opinions. So you don't you, um, you don't think that there's any significant problem to legalizing marijuana? I think alcohol is a heck of a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's not 
that's not necessarily the question, you know, because right. I mean, the, the the argument could be, okay, well, you know, marijuana, alcohol is really bad. Uh, marijuana is not as bad. I'm not sure that's a justification. But your point is, owning a place in Denver, you haven't seen any huge social increase in social costs or crime problems or anything like that. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay, good enough. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Oh, I have a couple things. Um, I actually have uh, bipolar high anxiety, and I know that if um, when I've tried marijuana in the past, it's definitely helped me. Mm -hmm. And I have bad pain problems, so I have to take uh, lots of pain pills. Right. So even if I took less pain pills and I smoked more, that's better for my body. Mm-hmm. And that's just for me alone. Secondly, I think just for the state of Wisconsin to jump on it before states like Illinois, Michigan, and they legalize it, I think we could be the first ones and we could really make a, a lot of revenue. And I, I, I think that's a big problem you know, for other states if we can get there first. And we could be able to make a lot more money. And uh, another thing... Do you, I, let like me ask say, you this. Do you think there's a difference between medical marijuana and and recreational use of marijuana because you you were talking about a couple of your physical conditions so is it one thing if you could get a prescription for medical marijuana but what about recreational marijuana that would be open to everybody over the age of 18 or over the age of 21 or whatever I, you know i think it goes back to you know it sounds bad but i think going back to the other question the other guy with the kids i think the kids who get it or want it can get it already mm-hmm. let's be honest when you were younger, if you wanted it, you could probably get it from a friend you knew. That's back then, even. So it's more available now. I think. I think we. I think it should be legal. I really do. I think it should be legalized and recreational. And I think there should be places like bars that would have it legally, where you'd go instead of going drink all night, you'd go uh, smoke mm-hmm. and enjoy it, and and then be able to eat something and relax and leave. You know, and I think that's where people should have the choice. And where the guy says alcohol is worse, alcohol is a lot worse. And on your body, and uh, cigarettes are bad. But I think there's other ways of sm- uh, taking marijuana. There's oh, there's, it, there's yeah. There's it. I mean, you you go to a lot of the places like you go. Uh, a lot of it's you're not smoking it. A lot of it, I am told, it's it's in right. gummy bears or cookies or whatever things like that. Let me. Oh, I, I've okay. been to Colorado myself, and like you said, it's actually. I've heard when I'm out there, all the, uh, the a lot of the major crimes or the uh, violent crime is all uh, reduced anywhere even around a dispensary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no act. It's really friendly there when I visited. Um, I, I it was a are, good are time you there. are you at all concerned that it, it, I I I think pretty much everybody would agree that if we legalize marijuana use, the, the amount of marijuana use is going to go up. I mean, there's people who don't do it because it, it, it's illegal and it's got consequences. Are, right. Do you have any concern that we might be, say, like raising a nation of potheads if we, if well, we legalize it? The, if, if I had to choose between raising some, you know, it's going to go down. You think there's going to be people who drink now that stop? You think there's people who can do heroin that stop a little? There's going to be a lot of other things that are worse that they're going to stop, and they're going to do marijuana now maybe that is better. Hmm. And if you're going to choose between someone getting too much, doing too much marijuana and someone doing too much meth or alcohol or any other things, guess what? I'm going to choose the marijuana. Well, if that's, Would I mean, you? I think, no, if, that, well, if, if, if the choice is, you can be a pothead or you can be a meth head. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the pothead. But at the same time, I, I do want to suggest that, that maybe as a matter of public policy, 
Maybe it's not the greatest thing in the world to encourage people to, again, you know, raise generations of potheads. I, here, here's where I come down on this. Would, if, if I were voting and the county I live in does not have one of these referendums, I would vote yes on medical marijuana, and I know some of you disagree with me on that. I would vote no on recreational use of marijuana because, again, I think even if you accept the premise that marijuana use is is no worse than alcohol use, all right, and let's and let's not even let's not even go to is it a gateway drug? Does you know does it lead to you know harder drugs or things like that? I I just I, I don't necessarily think that we we make society a better place by encouraging more and more people to go out and get high recognizing that you know people do that anyways but i think if you legalize it more people would do it now having said all that i recognize also that i i think i'm i'm increasingly in the minority um and it's always been one of the interesting things when we talk about these these subjects is that i I think i i know you i i know the the listening audience i know the fans of the show and i i am always amazed that you know, while we have people from all walks of life and all political spectrums, it, I hear from conservatives, I hear from moderates, I hear from liberals, and people overwhelmingly think that it's time to legalize marijuana. My guess is that these referendums pass, and they pass overwhelmingly, and it's certainly going to be something for the legislature to think about, if nothing else. So if you live in one of these various counties, chances are you might have a chance to weigh in a week from next Tuesday as to whether or not you think the legislature should get on board the pot train. Woo-woo. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, well, eight minutes from now, we're scheduled to be joined by State Senator Leah Vukmir, who is running a campaign against Tammy Baldwin, you've heard a lot of ads. She was with President Trump last night in the Warsaw area. Stick around. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12:35. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner and WTMJ is back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, the one and only Jane Matinere. Yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be a part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. As we said, the tickets have been on sale for about a week or so. Typically, and this is the fourth year we've done this, we, we sell out about the second or the third week. And once the tickets are gone, they're gone. So if you think you want to come, and I know we've had people that have come year after year after year. It's a great time. It's a lot of fun for everybody involved. Uh, you Go out, reach out, get the tickets now, because inevitably, right before the show, I'll get people texting me, say, Jeff, I loved it. I'm a love, long-time listener, and I really want to go, and I forgot to get the tickets the first time, and can you get me four? And the answer is inevitably, no, I can't. All right, we have an election coming up a week from Tuesday. One of the people towards the top of the ballot is going to be State Senator Leah Vukmir, who is running as the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate. And uh, Leah Vukmir joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, Jeff? I am fine, Leah. How are you? Big rally yesterday in Mosinee, and I know you were uh, a central part of that with President Trump. Well, I was really excited to be there, and it was just another one of those examples where the president follows through on his promises. He promised me. The day after I won the primary, when he called to congratulate me that he would come to Wisconsin and do a rally, and he did. So it was very exciting. It was an energizing crowd. It was very, very, uh, I I don't even know how to describe it, electric. Mm -hmm. People were just excited to be there, 
and ready for the election on November 6th. Aaliyah, one of the one of the big things that people have been looking at and they've been talking about during this race is the the so-called enthusiasm gap that you know Democrats are going to be motivated to turn out and and Republicans aren't. As you're out and about on the campaign trail and with the president last night, what are you seeing about enthusiasm? There was so much enthusiasm last night at that hangar, and it really mirrors what I've been seeing, especially over the course of the last month, Jeff. Things have really picked up, and some of it, I think, has to do with the Kavanaugh hearings Mm -hmm. and what happened in Washington. Some of it has to do with the antics that people are seeing the left do, the resist movement, the protest movement, you know, interrupting people while they're eating in, in restaurants. The sorts of things that we saw here in Wisconsin, Jeff, that really turned people off when it came time for the recalls. Mm-hmm. And people are, are seeing that. They're seeing what's happening at the border and the chaos that's there. That is really energizing people to say, you know what, we need to elect common sense people who understand the importance of securing our border. So I think the building, uh, the momentum is building. And it really shows the stark contrast, too, between what we have been able to accomplish as Republicans and what the left is pursuing. And when I said chaos, I mean chaos, Jeff. I mean, think about it. Chaos at the border, chaos in health care. You know, Tammy Baldwin is talking about a Medicare for all program, a bill that she's touting. It's a socialized fantasy, and it really is chaos for all. And she doesn't even know what's in her own bill, or she does, and she's afraid to say it. But the bill literally dismantles Medicare, Medicare Advantage for our seniors. It dismantles the Medicaid program, the TRICARE program for our veterans. It dismantles the Affordable Care Act. And worse yet, not even Canada and England do this. It dismantles private employer-based insurance. So that means that you know, that 3.4 million people in Wisconsin will lose their private employer-based insurance. And meanwhile, she's continuing to perpetuate the big lie about pre-existing conditions. Yeah, yeah, let me let me stop you there, because I, I will tell you, I, I get a number of emails and, and texts and people talking about this particular campaign. And there, there's two there's two questions that people hit all the time. One is the, the claim that Tammy Baldwin is making is that Leah Vukmir wants to do away with insurance coverage for people who have pre-existing conditions. So, so since I have you on the phone, what yeah. what what is the truth about that? Do you want yeah. to prevent somebody who's got cancer from being able to get insurance or somebody who's got diabetes from being able to get insurance? Where do you stand no. on pre-existing coverage? I have said repeatedly that I would fall in front of a truck before I would let people go without coverage for pre-existing conditions. Here is the truth. Before Obamacare went into place, Jeff, there's federal law that says that if you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or employer insurance, you're covered for pre-existing conditions. And if you weren't on one of those three, we in Wisconsin were forward-thinking, and we developed a health insurance risk-sharing pool for the remaining individuals. If Obamacare went away today, guess what? That federal law is still on the books. And that means that now, because our unemployment rate is so low, we would probably have an even smaller percentage of people that we would have to cover for pre-existing conditions. We're committed to it. I'm committed to it. Every Republican is committed to it. It is a big, fat lie. And it's very frustrating. This is all that Tammy's campaign has been about, is one lie after another Mm -hmm. about me, a nurse. I don't care about people supposedly with all kinds of conditions, according to Tammy Baldwin. But it's really easy for her to just grab, excuse me, a quick headline 
instead of really looking at what she is uh, actually saying and how she's misrepresenting so many of the things that I have done. Like I've dedicated my life caring for people with cancer, caring for people with mental health issues. Uh, her latest volley after me is about uh, dementia. I have a 91-year-old mom with dementia, Alzheimer's. And uh, we even put an extra $4 million in our budget this last session for dementia care specialists because I understand how important it is. You know, the list goes on and on. She just has so much money that she's able to put these ads out. Well, let me, to to that point, Senator, let me ask you another question because these ads are being run on TV. They're being run on on our radio station during during my program as well. The other ad that's out there, there's the one on pre-existing conditions. Leah Vukmir doesn't want to have that covered. We've talked about that. The other ad is... Leah Vukmir doesn't want me to be able to get insurance coverage for my oral chemotherapy. I'm I'm a cancer patient. I, I'm getting oral chemotherapy, and Leah Vukmir doesn't want me to be able to get insurance coverage for that. What where what's that all about? That is another lie. The bill had an unintended consequence that I was concerned about that is actually borne out to be true. My concern about the bill was that it would limit care for patients that needed oral chemo. And in the end, that's exactly what's happened. Just recently, a UNC Harvard study came out that showed that the cost to receive oral chemo has actually gone up for some chemotherapy patients by $150 a month. So because I try to solve problems instead of trying to grab a headline and to give people false sense of hope, uh, Tammy Baldwin is able to spend her special interest money on ads that really are... uh, lies about who I am as a nurse. And I hope that people see through this because it's been one lie after another. And it is clearly not my intention uh, as somebody who has spent my entire life as a career nurse working in the legislature. I'm like Tammy Baldwin, who has been a career politician working only in the halls of government for the last 34 years. In fact, that's the question I pose to people. Who are you going to trust on health care the career politician who's only walked in the halls of government or the career nurse who's walked in the halls and worked in the halls of some of our finest hospitals. So, again, this is Tammy Baldwin's The Left's Extreme Narrative. She can't answer how we're going to pay for her $32 trillion takeover of health care. I've asked her. She doesn't seem to know what's in her bill. I've asked her. She it was incredulous when I said that her bill would dismantle Medicare, and she said, how could that be? The bill is called Medicare for All, and I said, read the bill. You can call it anything you want, but mm-hmm. it actually does. Can you imagine, Jeff, if a Republican had even talked about nibbling around the edges of, of trying to change things on Medicare, what would happen to us? She is dismantling the program, and I want your seniors to hear that. Over a four-year period of time, I could even point them to the section of the bill, page uh, section 105 to 107. I've actually read it, and they... Uh, that is a complete dismantling of those programs. Let's talk. I mean, in some respects, Leah, it is interesting to me because I almost feel like we're, we're back in the 1990s where the, the standard Democrat playbook was to run the ads about how any Republican, any Republican, you know, wants to eliminate Social Security and wants to throw people, uh, seniors out of, you know, old old people's homes, the seniors living and push them over the cliff. And it, it seems like that's kind of playing out with these ads on pre-existing conditions or, yeah. or things like that. Let's talk about Social Security. I mean, are, you're, you're, I assume, committed to keeping Social Security as viable for people. As is the president. People who are at or near their retirement should be given and will be 
following through on the promise that was given to them. And so on the, prom- the president has said that as well, that he is not going to touch that. But once again, you see how they're able to push these things out there, but not stand accountable when the same is true of them. And they're actually proposing these things. And that's what's so frustrating, Jeff, is that not only are they lying, but you have a complicit media, and I'm not talking about you, but a complicit media that isn't asking these questions. And so I've stepped up my game. And if you follow me on social media, I have been calling out the media left and right. And yes, I'm borrowing a phrase from the president, fake news. It is just staggering the extent to which they do not question Tammy Baldwin when her bills literally say what I say they are doing, but they say that I am lying um, when I uh, about the pre-existing conditions. It's it's just it's very frustrating. But you know what? I just keep my head up and keep trying to get my message out there. And we are fighting back as best as we can. I have faith that. People have a, a good sense and common sense here in Wisconsin, and that has seen us through eight years where we've been able to accomplish so much. And I'm calling on those good people of common sense to get out on November 6th because the contrast is very clear, Jeff. I look at Tammy Baldwin as someone that only looks to government, the federal government, to solve problems. I, on the other hand, believe that the government closest to the people is best in the best position to take care of and solve problems. It's the principle of federalism. And then we in the states give as much power back to the local units of government, which is exactly what we have done here in Wisconsin. Did you know it was going to be as ugly as it's getting when you got into this in the first place? Well, I prepared myself for that. I mean, I'm used to it. We've been through a lot in Wisconsin when I think back to 2011. And it certainly, you know, builds your... um, your fortitude, but I feel so strongly about having people go to Washington who really understand the needs of the middle class. I'm a middle class mom, Jeff. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I was going to be a politician, but I literally questioned the role of government in my family's life, and it led me on this amazing journey, and I have now stepped up to this position because people want somebody to go to Washington who they know they can count on, will follow through on their promises. That's why people like President Donald Trump. He follows through on his promises. We have done that in Wisconsin. We are used to that standard uh, because of all that we've been able to accomplish since 2011. You know the stats and how we've turned our state around Mm -hmm. economically. It's an economic miracle. Proud to have been a part of it. And now I want to take that economic miracle to Washington and help Ron Johnson so that his vote isn't canceled out by the extreme liberal Tammy Baldwin, who not only... You know, embraces extreme liberal positions on health care, but the border. No one's asking her, calling her out mm-hmm. on her positions of the border. But, you know, she's thriving on the chaos of the border and is perfectly comfortable with open borders and sanctuary cities. The folks I'm talking to in Wisconsin aren't. They want border security and they want to make sure that people are coming into this country legally. State Senator Lee Vukmer, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Um like I say, people get a chance to express themselves. The election's coming up quickly, one week from Tuesday, and you're at the top of the ballot. I am, and if they have any questions, they can send us a message. At go to leahbuchner.com. We'll be happy to clear the record and set the record straight, and we'd certainly love their help. Uh, any volunteering here in the final two weeks is incredibly important. It's all about getting out the vote. Leah Vukmir, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Absolutely. State Senator Leah Vukmir running against Tammy Baldwin. It, I, I, I'm, when 
when Leah's people reached out and said you could have her on, and I, I, I embraced it because, again, I think th- this is the issue that you're seeing. And the issue that's being run against Leah Vukmir in this state, as somebody who watches races in other states, this is this is the generic thing out of the Democrat playbook in 2018. And it does remind me of so many elections in the past when it used to be, oh, the Republicans want to eliminate Social Security and we're going to have senior citizens are going to be eating dog food and we're going to be pulling their pushing their wheelchairs out of the nursing homes and throwing them over the cliff that this year that is we want to get rid of pre-existing conditions. They don't care. If you've got diabetes and you lose your insurance, you're not going to be able to afford to get it back again. Um, it, it's issues like that. And I do think in some cases Republicans have been slow to respond to this, and, and that's starting to change. Governor Walker has this great ad that he it started out on YouTube. Now it's running where you know he responds to these ridiculous claims about how I want to get rid of pre-exist I, I don't want to have pre-existing coverage you know by talking about his brother and his wife and those types of situations and I think Senator Vukmir explains it pretty clearly that you know there's there is and there always was coverage in Wisconsin for for pre-existing conditions we had badger care we had the high risk type of pool and I would argue that as far as choices go we were a lot better off when it came to the different types of coverages that were available in Wisconsin, at least, before Obamacare, as opposed to after it. But that's Leah Vukmir in her own words on the whole issue of pre-existing uh, conditions. I do think that's something that Republicans need to respond to in a big way, because, again, the Democrat playbook is to say they, they don't want you to have insurance coverage. So if you have cancer and you lose your insurance, oh, my gosh, it's going to be devastating. That's not true. I think it is the big lie. But, you know, you need to respond to that big lie. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So every morning we we have these sort of production meetings where people from the different shows get together and talk about what happened or what's going to happen. And I I, I attend, I try to attend a couple times a week. I was at the one this morning and everybody's talking about Megyn Kelly and, and what happened with Megyn Kelly. And at one point in time, I think it was our program director, somebody turned to me and said, "What? where does this go from here? And I said, I don't think she makes it. I, I, I don't think she makes it. And an hour later, it appears, if you believe the reports, that Megyn Kelly is out at NBC. Let's review the bidding, and then I, I want to talk to you about this. M- Megyn Kelly was a breakout star at, at Fox News. She was at Fox News for, what, about 12 years or so. And ultimately, she kind of carved out that this niche. She's a she's a lawyer, and she carved out this niche as being kind of a prosecutorial interviewer. Um, would take on tough topics. She really rose to fame during you know, 2016, where she kind of took on Donald Trump, asked him a couple tough questions during one of the debates and things like that. And that that really you know brought her to the forefront. Her nighttime show did very very well on Fox News, and at times it, it rivaled Bill O'Reilly's as far as the ratings go. In 2017, May her first show was May 1st of 2017, but you. She left Fox News and she went over to NBC. And the deal, at least initially at NBC, is that she would host the third hour of of the Today Show and that she would have a Sunday night magazine program that would go up against 60 Minutes and she would um, do election coverage and Olympics coverage and all those types of things. Now, you can go back and check the tape. I said this at the time. I thought it was a peculiar move because... She 
she made her bones at Fox News as being kind of a conservative provocateur. You know, somebody asking tough questions, and she had a point of view and all those different types of things. When they brought her over to NBC and put her on the third hour of the Today Show, they didn't want any of that. They didn't want any of the stuff that they were, were she was good at, and they essentially for they essentially had her making muffins. And that that wasn't what Megyn Kelly was all about. I mean, they, they hired her, paid her an enormous amount of money. It's like $60 million for three years was what the deal was. And so they bring her over, and then they say, okay, well, all these things that you were good at and all these things that you had an audience for, you know, the hard-hitting, that type of stuff, we don't want you doing any of that. And, and they had her, you know, like dancing with the stars and doing things like that. And it was just it, – it was a bizarre fit. Which isn't simply because that that wasn't her thing. I mean, if if you're going to hire me to do a radio show, all right, after 20 plus years, you know the kind of radio show I do. It wouldn't make any sense for some station to hire me and bring me over and say, okay, well, we we want you to do commentary on polka music, all right? And we're going to pay you a lot of money to do that because I don't know anything about polka music. All right, if you're going to hire me to do a radio show, well, you, you know the type of radio show that I'm I'm going to get. It wouldn't make any sense. You could find somebody else who could do, if you want to host a polka show, I guarantee you, you could find a lot of people who could do it a lot better than I could for a lot less money than you'd have to pay me. That that, But that's what they did with Megyn Kelly. Never made any sense to me. She didn't get off to a very good start. The audience from Fox News, I think, was confused and, and really didn't didn't follow her over because they 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 liked what she did at Fox News, but she was doing something different at at NBC, and she never really found this kind of new audience. She wasn't embraced well by the people that were at NBC. A lot of the folks at the Today Show didn't like the fact that they were losing that third hour, and, and she got off to a rocky start, and it really never picked up from there. So anyhow, two days ago at the start of her show, she's on. TV and and they're talking about Halloween and and it's part of a of a panel discussion. You you probably heard this by now, but you know <clears throat> what what she said during this panel discussion is that the costume police are cracking down on Halloween outfits. "Quote: You do get in trouble if you are a white person who puts on blackface on Halloween or a black person who puts on white face for Halloween. Back when I was a kid, that was okay." as long as you were dressing up as a character. She added that she was perplexed by the criticism of a cast member of The Real Housewives of New York who was criticized for dressing up as Diana Ross, complete with an outsized Afro wig. People said that, quote, people said that was racist, and I don't know. I feel like, who doesn't love Diana Ross? I can't keep up with the number of people that were offending just by being normal people. And her her remarks were interpreted as, and probably were, um, I guess an endorsement of, of blackface or not understanding the historical significance of blackface and the minstrel shows and things like that. And, and a number of people were uh, offended by this. Okay. So the show ends after the show ends, um, the, you know, what hits the fan and there's all sorts of people who are just absolutely stunned that, you know, she would come out and say something that was essentially interpreted by many as an endorsement of, of blackface. What she then does is she emails an apology to her 
colleagues, saying the history of blackface in our culture is abhorrent, the wound's too deep. I've never been a PC kind of person, but I understand we need to do more to be sensitive in this day and age. NBC's Nightly News divided segment, devoted segments to her remarks on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, et cetera, et cetera. The, let's see, the, the head of the NBC News came out, criticized her, said that he was just appalled by this. A number of her colleagues, including like guys like Al Roker and stuff, came out and criticized her for her remarks. Uh, let's see, on the Today Show yesterday, NBC anchor Craig Melvin called her comments racist and ignorant. Al Roker, the weatherman, said that uh, Kelly owes a bigger apology to folks of color around the country. NBC, MSNBC anchor Jacob Sorboroff wrote on Twitter that her remarks were vile. So anyhow, things were, were breaking bad. Today, they ran a rerun of, of one of her shows in the past, and now the announcement is out there that she's done um, at NBC. And the only question is, again, she's only halfway through her contract. They owe her tens of millions of dollars. And the question is, what what do you do? You know, is she going to be able to collect on that? Where does she end up going from here? All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me say this really clearly. Number one, what what she said about blackface was stupid in the extreme i i I don't think in in today's day and age there you know there there might be stuff that you could have done or said 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago and it wouldn't have been a big deal well i mean times change standards change and i think almost everybody recognizes that you know that when it comes to halloween costumes where you're supposed to let your freak flag fly that's cool but there, there are limits and you know, white people dressing up in blackface is something that, in general, is going to, I think, for most of us, we want to recognize that that's just, it is not appropriate. And to the extent Megan Kelly came out and endorsed blackface, it's an incredibly stupid thing to say. Right? There, there's just no question about it. I guess the, the point is, and what I find to be interesting, is that people say stupid things all all the time. And I guess my question to you is, did NBC overreact what what's really going on here if and keep keep in mind i mean nbc nbc has been buffeted by one scandal after another i mean nbc was the home of of matt lauer for example and then you've got you know tom brokaw who's had his own problems megan kelly was never the rating success that they thought she was so i mean here's my question to you do you think that she deserved to be fired for this or was this just a convenient way to get rid of somebody who was, well, kind of a problem, not producing what they wanted to have produced? Um, the ratings weren't there. Was this just an easy way to get rid of her? Or did she deserve to be fired for what I think all of us would agree was at best insensitive and, you know, maybe at worst in, in a, a racist remark? Definitely stupid. Did Megan Kelly deserve to lose her gig? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill on the north side. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Jeff, first, let me tell you, you gave an excellent uh, uh, backdrop to what happened with her. And the tip of the iceberg is where I'm coming from for this. I didn't want to say stupid. I didn't want to say dumb. But someone who is a lawyer 
should know not to use that. You didn't have to come out and talk about that. You could have talked about something else, but to talk about blackface and not understand the racial ramifications of it, mm-hmm. um, should she have been fired? If she hadn't had any of the other things that you talked about, it was just the first time, right. no. But with all of the other things, in addition to this, yes, I'm African-American. I'm offended by that. And, and here's the core to politically correctness. It's about respect. Mm-hmm. If you talk to someone, you meet them at a, a cocktail party or something, and you're just respectful with your discussion, you're going to have a great time and, and mm-hmm. interact with people of various cultures. It's all about just basic common respect and to go back to blackface that was stupid mm-hmm. um I'm just, bill let me ask you, you this have to bring it up let me ask you this if her show had been more successful and, and the truth is it, it was a failure by any objective standards and she was clearly a headache and a disappointment for nbc if her show had been a lot more successful do you think they would have done the same thing uh i you know i don't think so you know, it's all about ratings. I, I really watched a lot of politics and mm-hmm. your shows and and uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, I'm really in tune to that. Uh, I thought it was the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. for her, uh, and it was. It's just. It was. I'm sorry. It was dumb. <laughs> no. Well, it was not that. And, and uh, unsensitive. You no. Know, thanks. Well, it, it clearly was. Thanks for calling. It was. It was clearly. It, it was clearly a, a tone deaf remark. I mean, was it was it overtly racist? I mean, I guess people are going to have to decide that for themselves. Clearly tone deaf, clearly insensitive. And I do agree with you, Bill. She could have made her point. You, you, you could have come up with a ton of other examples to make that point without using the reference to blackface. But did, did she get what she deserved? Or is NBC just using this as a pretext to, I don't know, I, either bow to the forces of political correctness or get rid of somebody who was underperforming in the extreme. Okay, we continue the conversation in just a minute. 414-799-1620. It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, I'm not, again, I'm I'm not really a fan of Megyn Kelly. I never have been. And I'm certainly not defending what she said yesterday. But it it is interesting, and one of our texters, Bill in Burlington, makes this point. Huh, remember when Samantha B came out and called Ivanka Trump and then used the, the C word, and nothing happened to her. Not Nothing happened to her, but Megyn Kelly makes references to, okay, how blackface might be appropriate, and and that's what gets her fired. Um, you know, is there, in fact, a double standard? Now, I mean, I, I, as I said, I, I think what Megyn Kelly said was, was insensitive, and I think it was ill-considered. Um, at the same time, my guess is that if her ratings were a lot better, you wouldn't have had this reaction going on. I mean, I think NBC used this as an excuse to get rid of somebody that was going to be a problem, which isn't to say that I think that she didn't make mistakes here. Tom in Brookfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Uh, I feel that it's really unfortunate. It's really a tragedy that in this society we cannot even have an intelligent discussion on a topic like that. All she did, she did not endorse blackface. She came from a perspective that when she was younger or 20 years ago, whatever, in the past, people used to do this, not out of disrespect, but perhaps just not even realizing 
it was uh, uh, insulting to blacks. She was not endorsing that anybody do that today. She's simply expressing her opinion from her perspective, and she certainly recognizes today it's not proper. I think all that was said. So why is she fired? Why are people saying that she is insensitive? Well, okay. Well, let me let me read you her apology, um, and, and this is what she said yesterday. She said, I want to begin with two words. I'm sorry. You may have heard yesterday that we had a discussion here about political correctness in Halloween costumes, and that conversation turned to whether it's ever okay for a person of one race to dress up as another, a black person making their face lighter or a white person making their face darker to make a costume complete. I defended the idea, saying as long as it was respectful and part of a Halloween costume, it seemed okay. Well, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. So, I mean, she seems to acknowledge that she thinks, at least in her opinion, she went over the top because she's issuing an apology. Because she's trying to appease the political correctness. Yeah. I'm a white person, and if somebody, a black person, wants to dress respectfully as whatever, Steve Martin, one of the whitest men in the world, <laughs> I wouldn't care if they change their, their complexion to lighter. Why would that be an insult? And I think that's what she's saying. Okay. Or so, we understand that we're not going to make a joke out of somebody else's nationality, and she understands that. Okay. So you think she's getting the, the short end of the stick by them firing her? Definitely do, and has to do with the fact that she's a conservative. Yeah, I think, well, I, I think, I, I don't know that I, I, I think, uh, again, and I, I, at the risk of repeating myself, if she had, the, the move that she made to NBC was a failure, for, for what, whatever reasons. And I mean, I, I go back to what I said in the beginning, they, she was very successful at Fox News doing what she did. Uh, again, a, a smart, aggressive conservative who did uh, was a provocateur, took on tough issues, and, and that's what she made her bones at. They bring her over to NBC, and they, they don't want her to do any of that at all, and they turn her into, uh, again, one of these sort of ubiquitous kind of, uh, again, you, you know, we're, we're going to have you making muffins, and we're going to have, you know, we're, we're going to have you, you know, dancing with some of the other characters. They, they hired her, I mean, she was successful for one thing, and then they tried to turn her into something else, and it was a flop. I mean, it was just flat out a, a flop in general. If the ratings had been higher, I suspect that, you know, maybe they would have been able to look the other way a little bit. Let's talk to Monica in Racine. Monica, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. You know, I was telling your screener, I watch Megan Kelly's show at, at least a couple of times a week, and I remember when she first came over to NBC, and the whole deal was that she wanted to do something different. She wanted to have this kind of a show and whatnot. Be that as it may, I did see the, um, the segment that aired. I did see a little bit of surprise on some of the, her panel's faces. Um, these are people that she has on a lot. Right. And I just think that it, it was it was it was probably not the right thing to say. And I don't think they were necessarily talking about, you know, the colors of faces. But she used that as an example. And it probably was a, not a great example for her to use. Right. And I'm shocked to find out that she got fired. Right. So you I, think you, 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 you think it was an overreaction on NBC's I, part? I do, and I guess I don't pay enough attention to everybody's ratings to see what she's doing compared to other shows, but I liked her show. Uh I liked the diversity of the show. I like when she kicked off and had her panels, and I, you know, I I watch her shows, you know, pretty regularly, Uh and I'm really kind of surprised. Yeah, well, I I guess the question is, what what next? I mean, she's still, she's... 
halfway through the $60 million contract. So my guess is NBC is going to have to pay her a boatload of money. Then the question is, does, does she land back on Fox News? Can, can you go home again? And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know the answer to that either, but I do know because I was listening to your ramp up about this and about with the Olympics. And I do know that she pitched quite a major fit about not being included right. in the Olympic game. Right. Went. Right. Um, but, you know, she was. She's still getting paid a boatload of money. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that. I mean, no, thanks. I mean, that is the one thing in you know when 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 you do analyze this, whether you think what happened to her was fair or unfair, whether you think it was you know PC run amok or whether or not it was uh, again maybe just a, an easy excuse to get rid of somebody who was underperforming. Bottom line is, at least the way I understand it, you're not going to have to have any tag sales for Megan Kelly because. She's going to walk. She's got a contract, and they don't have to put her on the air. But my guess is they're going to have to pay her a substantial amount of money that she has left. So don't think we have to worry about her in the near future. It's one twenty nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner. It is amazing. I was talking to somebody this morning. I mean, Thanksgiving coming up just what like four weeks away or something like that, and then Christmas not that long after that. Anyways, the holidays, they are right around the corner. WTMJ is back with our annual holiday radio show this year. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience. That's you. You can be part of it. Buy tickets now. They're only $25 a piece. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. I do not get a cut of the proceeds or anything like that, but I, I do, if you're thinking about going, I urge you to get your tickets right away. There, there's If you've been there before, you know there, there's only so much space. It's, it's When it's sold out, it's sold out. And inevitably what happens is, especially since I think people have enjoyed it, we have the same people, a lot of the same people go year after year after year. They, they make it a tradition. It's always a lot of fun. But inevitably, and I, I say this honestly, what happens is it sells out in uh, two to three weeks usually. We're now, I think, in the second week of selling tickets. I haven't checked to see where the ticket sales are, but I, I'm sure they're on a pace with how they've been in the past, if not a little bit more accelerated. And what happens inevitably is, you know, people, it sells out, and then people think that we're kidding when we say it's sold out. And I get emails saying, come on, Jeff, I, I really i am a big fan of the show, and I'd like another. Can you get me four tickets? And the answer is, no, I, I, I can't, because once they're sold out. So avoid all that hassle. Buy your tickets right now, and we'll see you on the 26th. All right. The, the driving national story the last two days has been the fact that you have some psycho who has sent, and I, I'm assuming it's one person. Now, that, that could be that could be false. It could be a couple. My guess is that it is one person, some psycho who has sent a series of crude explosive devices, pipe bombs, which are nasty, nasty things, to a number of prominent leftists. Um, you, you had... One that was um, sent to the home of George Soros, delivered to the home of George Soros. Yet one that was sent to CNN, um, even though I think it was addressed to somebody who doesn't even work at CNN, but it was sent to CNN. Hillary Clinton, um, there was one sent to her. Now the reports are, you know, Robert De Niro, he of the, you know, going on TV and saying 
blank Trump, blank Trump. Well, apparently, you know, one was sent to him, to his residence, and, and a number of other places, pre- former President Obama, et cetera, et cetera. And as soon as that story broke, of course, you had a number of people who immediately came out and said, well, this is all Donald Trump's fault. If it weren't for the climate that President Trump has created, none of this would be happening, and it's Trump's fault, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I am confident that law enforcement is going to catch whoever did this, and I think they're going to probably catch him pretty quickly. My guess is that, uh, and again, this is perhaps an experienced guest, my, my guess is that there, whoever did this ha- has left all sorts of clues. Some of these packages were apparently hand-delivered, so you go back and my guess is you look at the tapes. I believe that they're going to catch whoever did this. But... And it's going to turn out to be, I mean, I understand there's some conspiracy theorists out there saying, well, this could be, you know, somebody on the left who's trying to, you know, make Republicans look bad. I, my guess is it's not going to be that. My guess is it's going to be some right wing nut job who is, is doing this. But the larger question, besides catching him or her, prosecuting him to the fullest extent of the law and putting the guy in prison forever, the, the larger question is, is this something that was caused by Donald Trump. I want to share with you an editorial that appears in today's Wall Street Journal, and then we're going to use that as the launching off point. The the piece is called The Politics of Pipe Bombs. Wednesday brought ugly news that pipe bomb-like devices had been mailed to Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Eric Holder, which followed the discovery Monday of a pipe bomb in the mailbox at the Westchester County, New York home of George Soros, the billionaire founder of Liberal Political Causes. Apparent explosive devices were also discovered Wednesday at the New York office of CNN, as well as at a district office of Florida Democrat Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The motives of the sender aren't known, though the devices suggest a pattern that could make them related. The urgent burden, this is the Wall Street Journal writing, is now on the FBI, the Secret Service, and the U.S. Postal Service to find the culprit. Let's hope the FBI does a better job than it did in 2001 when anthrax-laced letters killed several Americans. The FBI spent years hounding an innocent man before settling on a federal researcher who committed suicide in 2008 after learning he'd been charged. Especially so close to an election, the public should discount unconfirmed leaks about suspects or motives. Close to an election... There are also attempts to blame the devices on intemperate political rhetoric, especially from Donald Trump. We doubt this, and we doubt it in the same way we never believed the attack on Steve Scalise and other Republicans as they were playing baseball in Virginia in 2017 was the fault of Bernie Sanders, though the man guilty of the shooting rampage was a Bernie volunteer. On Wednesday, Mr. Trump condemned the acts of sending these devices. If, and it goes on, if we want to make America less vulnerable to violence, we do better to look past the political rhetoric and insist on exacting a higher price from those who choose violence, those who burn universities because they don't like the speaker, white supremacists who seek out and engage in brawls, or masked protesters breaking shop windows. They all deserve the full sanction of the law. The priority now is to find the person responsible and then ensure the offender spends a long time in prison. All right, let's open up the phone line, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. The good news about this, to the extent there is any good news, is that none of these bombs went off. That That's the good news, so nobody's been hurt. The bad news is that you have some psycho that is sending these to, again, prominent American politicians. 
is this the fault of Donald Trump? Is it the fault of the climate that Donald Trump has created? Is it fair to blame the president? Is it fair to blame Republicans for this? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, let me give you some good news. The uh, stock market, it has been brutal the last couple weeks, but one of the reasons why the investment pros always say you, you can't time the market, it, it, you, you just never know what's going to happen. After just like an absolutely brutal day yesterday and a brutal couple weeks, stock market today, the Dow is up 507 points, which is the 2% increase. The NASDAQ is up 254 points. That's almost a 3.6% increase. And I bring that up only because for for people who, oh, oh my gosh, I, I know when I can get in and out of the market. If you got frustrated after what happened yesterday and called you know, your, your stockbroker and said, I want to sell. I want to take all my money in cash or put it in gold or whatever. You, you would be missing today's run up. That's, that's part of the problem about trying to time the market. But, um, after some brutal news over the last, really the last couple of weeks today, Dow up 507 points as we speak. There's another hour to the close and the NASDAQ up 250 plus points. All right. Is it fair to blame President Trump for the fact that you apparently have a, a psycho? And I am going to assume that, that this isn't some, you know, giant, you know, counterintuitive thing going on. I, I'm going to assume that you've got some psycho right-wing nut who is sending pipe bombs to prominent liberals. And that, and But is it fair to blame President Trump that you have this psycho who is doing that? I'm assuming it's one person, could be a couple, but my guess is it's going to turn out to be one. 414-799-1620. Chris on the east side. Chris, you're first. Hello. Good Chris, afternoon. Good, good afternoon. What do you think? Well, I don't think... Trump is directly responsible for this. I, I do think he has uh, some part of the burden to bear because he do create a climate. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is some of his statements and his behavior uh, doesn't necessarily denounce violence. Sometimes it's encouraged violence. And so, no, he's not directly responsible, but he is responsible for influencing the climate. Mm-hmm. Would you say the same thing is true on, on the other side? For example, when Hillary Clinton comes out and talks about how half of Trump supporters are a a basket of deplorables, or Maxine Waters says that, hey, as part of the resistance, you know, we need to follow these evil Republicans and we need to confront them everywhere. Does that contribute to the climate as well? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If, if, if that holds true for them, then it should hold true for Donald Trump. Yeah. So you'd like to see everybody dial it back. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for calling. I appreciate. It. I mean, see, I I think. Look, I, I I don't think it is fair or appropriate to say, gee, you've got some. Just like I don't think it is fair to say, oh, the the reason that you had this this kook from Illinois who traveled to Washington and tried to shoot these Republican congressmen, that's. That's because he was whipped into a frenzy by watching MSNBC or seeing the stuff on CNN or um, because, you know, Hillary Clinton talked about how the Trump supporters were a basket of deplorables or, you know, because, you know, Bernie Sanders was I, I don't think I, I mean, it's not fair. You you have a nut job who is acting out. 
at the same time, if you're going to argue that, okay, maybe we would be better all ratcheting down a, a, knob, a notch or two, I'm not going to argue with that. But, I mean, if that's the case, there's a lot of this stuff to go around. I mean, keep in mind, you know, you've got this resistance movement, which is saying, all right, well, we're going to go out, we're going to get in the streets, and we're going to confront every Republican that we can find, and we're going to get in their face, and we're going to scream at them. So, I mean, it is... It is, in fact, a two-way street. Would the dialogue be better if everybody ratcheted back a level or two? I, I think the answer, I mean, I would say the answer is yes. But, you know, is this? Is it fair to say, well, this is because of Donald Trump that you've got some right-wing nut who is sending pipe bombs? That, I think, is a bridge too far. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, my thoughts are, well, Trump has contributed some to this, but he's not at fault. It's the guy who's nuts. He's nuts. He's the guy who's doing it. Blame it on the individual, not Trump. Yeah, it's kind of like when you have, I, you, you know, we, over the years, you, you've had these debates when, like, there's a school shooting and people go back and say, it's the video games. You know, if, if it wasn't the if it wasn't the video game culture, this high school junior wouldn't have grabbed a gun and, and shot this or that or the other thing. And I, it's like, really? I mean, it's that you have some unstable kid who who acts out. And it, it's it's not the fault of the video game. It's the fact that you have an unstable kid. And my guess is, Mike, that's exactly what you're going to find in this case. When they catch the guy, hopefully they will catch him very soon. You're, you're going to find some nut job. Probably a right wing nut job, although I know a number of people think that maybe maybe it's a left wing nut guy. I, I you know whatever. It's going to be a crazy person, one way or the other. You've got to be crazy to do this. Absolutely, and uh, video games are you know for everyone. But if you're a nut, you're going to do it on your own. It's your, it's the individual, not the gun or the or the uh, culture. It's the individual. Yeah. No. Thanks for the call. And again, we, do we? Do, do we live in times where there are inflamed passions? Yes, and and there there are inflamed passions on on both sides. I mean, one of the things that's I guess a little bit frustrating is, and it's one of my frustrations with a, a lot of the mainstream media, is that there, there's this they they kind of pretend that all all, the, all this hate is coming from from the right. Well, there's a lot of hate that is on the left a, as well. Would we be better as, as a society, as a culture, if we dialed that all back? Yeah, I, I think I, I would. I would answer that. And and ha, has President Trump ratcheted this up? Yeah, he probably has. But at the same time, the, the left has responded accordingly. I mean, you, you look at some of the stuff. One, some of the things that I, I do as part of my job is I I go into sort of the the, the dark bowels of what you have, and it's, and actually, and it's not even that much under the surface nowadays. I mean, it. I think you see hate on both sides that is becoming mainstream. Armando in Green Bay. Armando, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Um, I don't blame Trump, but he has encouraged it, and that the saying of a fish rots from the head down is true here. When you, he's when, not to blame, but he's encouraged this by his rhetoric, by his call for or calling people names at rallies. Mm-hmm. And if the Democrats respond the same, well, if the leader of this country is going to call people horse face and things like that, um, what do you think the other side's going to do? The well, Democrats of course, this is nothing. Too, I mean, but, yeah, but I mean, it's nothing. I mean, it, it's nothing new. I mean, I was. I, do you remember back in in two thousand four, for example, you know, during the the Iraq War and things like that? Do you remember what people were saying about in that case, President Bush? I mean, I I, I guess 
part of the thing is that this heated rhetoric and stuff, I, I don't know that it's it's anything new. Maybe the fact, you know, Donald Trump is raising it to an art form might be a little bit new. But you've had a lot of this hate speech that's been going on for quite a while. Well, I think people blamed Obama for racially dividing the country. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing I heard all the time. Oh, he's dividing this country. He's yeah. not an American. He's a Muslim. He's a, he's a Kenyan. Right, or he doesn't no, have the birth certificate. Silly Donald stuff Trump. like that. Yeah, no, thanks. There's that's no from Donald Trump. Well, there, there's no Trump. question. He's, a, he's the leader of this country. You're I, the leader. You take the blame for what this country is. Well, I mean, I, well, thanks, thanks. I mean, I guess you say you take the blame for what the country is. I mean, to to an extent. I mean. Is President Trump responsible for every nut job that decides to act out in some form of antisocial way? Is Hillary Clinton responsible for that? No, I mean, the truth is you have these nut jobs. Would we be better if maybe the political dialogue wasn't quite as divisive? It, yeah, but there's a lot of blame to go around for that. Sooner they catch this guy, the better, though. I hope that's something that we can all agree on. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, if you, for some reason, decided you wanted to buy a radioactive substance to poison someone, would you have any idea where to even go for that? I have no clue. No clue. (laughs) Drew, how about you? You, I don't know. You see the internet. You go to Home Depot? I don't (laughs) don't think so, but... You know, sometimes... That, that, by the way, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's good that both of you, neither one of you know where to go to buy radio. Every once in a while, oftentimes what happens is you'll have these situations where somebody is accused of doing something really horrible, and then they have all the neighbors that come out and they say, I I can't believe, I, I am stunned that they had all those bodies in the basement. Oh, they seem like a nice, quiet guy. You know, you, you see that all the time. Every once in a while, you read this story, and the person that's involved, you go, I knew it was going to end this way. I, I just, you just knew it. And that is the story of Segway, Segway Boy Jeremy Ryan. Now, let me take you back in time to 2011, 2012. Scott Walker rolls out Act 10, and people collectively lose their mind. You have these public employees that go nuts over the fact that they're going to have to pay a little bit more for their insurance, and they're going to have to contribute to their pensions. And this becomes this national cause celeb, and you have union activists that are pouring in from all over the country, and people talking about, oh, this is just going to devastate the state. And, of course, none of that's turned out to happen. But what it really was is it was an excuse for some people to throw just a hissy fit and a chance for some people to decide okay we're we're going to we're going to we're going to riot like it's 1968 all right that that's that's exactly what happened and one of the people leading the charge was this guy named Jeremy Ryan who was referred to as Segway boy he was one of the guys that would use the Segway you know the the motorized devices to tool around the capital um he was one of the leaders of this and one of the spokespeople for it and i remember saying repeatedly at the time if if this is one of the leaders of your movement, you don't want to be a part of, of this movement. And he ended up getting arrested on multiple occasions. He was arrested at one point in time in a Capitol protest, and he ended up suing. He and a couple other cohorts sued the state's Department of Administration, claiming they were wrongfully arrested. They asked for damages. Um, in, in 2015, a Dane County judge, in my opinion, lost his mind and ordered that the the group collectively get $45,000 in damages, which was just 
again, mind-blowing, but it's the Dane County Circuit Court. Um, Segway Boy has had a, a sort of checkered career. 2012, he was charged with disorderly conduct outside the Capitol press room. On many occasions, he would ta- taunt a woman named Gwen Gunther after the death of um, her father, Dick Wheeler, and she took over the Wheeler Report. This guy would, like, taunt the, the daughter of the her father's dad. That shows you what kind of person he is. 2014, he was charged with domestic abuse and stalking of his girlfriend who lived with him. The stalking charge was dismissed. He was convicted of disorderly conduct. Okay. Um, 2015, he became an active supporter of Black Lives Matter. 2016, he was again arrested on three felony counts of manufacturing and delivering marijuana and one count of maintaining a drug house. All right. But, but all that is just precursor to the latest installment in Segway Boy's life. Segway Boy has now been, and by the way, he would run, he used to run, he's run a couple times as a Republican against Paul Ryan or in Paul Ryan's district, thinking that people will mistake Jeremy Ryan for Paul Ryan. <laughs> I, I I can't make this stuff up. But but anyhow, he, he's now ended up seriously in a in a major world of, of hurt. Let me just give you some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. Other than a serious illness that affects you that affects you personally the, the, the second most serious thing to do would be to find your name at, at the top of a federal indictment the united states of america versus in this case jeremy ryan he's now at, at the age of 30 he has been charged with i don't know trying to purchase a a, a radioactive element um th- this offense um, my understanding is it f- carries up to a char- charge of up to life in prison. All right, so here's here's what the FBI affidavit says. It says that he went on the dark web. We'll talk about that just a second to buy a radioactive substance. He said he wanted to use k- to kill somebody and make it look like the death was from cancer. All right, th- this is by the way, this is the poster child of, of the Capitol protests in 2011. A federal criminal complaint, this is what it says. The FBI says um, that an undercover agent, FBI agent, posing as a merchant on the dark web, which are hidden websites that can't be accessed without access without special software, was contacted about the possible purchase of an unnamed radioactive substance in March by somebody who used a particular you know, username. The potential customer had questions about how much you get for what price and whether its half-life would allow it to remain effective after shipping to the U.S. I want to buy this stuff to poison somebody, but I, I've got some questions about how this is going to work. The agent asked the person to contact him through a different encrypted messaging platform to continue their discussion. Enter Jeremy Ryan. Ryan. Now, nobody ever said Segway Boy was the sharpest knife in the drawer, mind you. Ryan said he wanted something that would kill fairly quickly after ingestion and rare enough that if the cause of death was revealed, people would assume only someone in government would have access to the poison. So Segway Boy had kind of thought out his murder plot. The agent said the radioactive substance was custom made for each order and the agent wanted to know the size of the target. Ryan said it was a six foot two male weighing two hundred and twenty pounds. Huh. Months went by before Ryan recontacted the undercover agent. So Segway Boy has a chance to walk away, but chooses not to do that. Recontacts the agent, 
purchases the material with Bitcoin for about $500 and asks that it be shipped to him in Madison at a UPS store mailbox. All right, so we're going to have this radioactive poison shipped to a UPS mailbox. The agent gave Ryan a fake tracking number, and Ryan showed up and retrieved the package on Wednesday. So Segway Boy shows up, gets what he thinks is this poisonous radioactive stuff that he's going to use to kill somebody. He was arrested later in Black Earth, so he's going to be prosecuted. And again, if convicted, he faces life in prison. As I said when I started this little dialogue, sometimes you hear these stories and you go, my God, I just can't believe that that's what happened here. I don't know about you, but remembering back to the Capitol protests in 2011 and 2012 and the tortured history of this Jeremy Ryan Segway boy, I do not find it surprising in the least that he now finds himself looking at life in federal and the federal pen for trying to buy radioactive substances on the dark web for the purpose of poisoning somebody 6'2", 220 pounds. Who could that possibly be? I'm 6'1", about 220. I don't think it was me. But but regardless, whoever he was trying to poison, it's not going to be happening because he apparently will be a guest of the federal government for quite a while now. The strange story of Segway Boy continues. Now, here's the other issue is going to be. If and when he is convicted of this, because he is a sympathetic figure to the kook left, will we have... I don't know, the folks that did the Stephen Avery documentary, Making of a Murderer 1 and 2, will they come out? Now will it be Making of a Radioactive Poisoner? And will we have a sympathetic treatment to for, for Segway Boy Jeremy Ryan? Ah, only time will tell. When we come back, I want to talk about what happened at Miller Park yesterday and how it could have gotten so out of control. Stick around. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show, do you think the Dane County judge, Frank Remington, who awarded Segway Boy and a bunch of others a bunch of taxpayer dollars for being wrongfully arrested, think he might feel a little bit dumb now? Well, no, he's a Dane County judge. He doesn't care about that. But um, (laughs) it is is just one of these kind of bizarre stories. It's like, all right, I'm going on to the dark web, and I'm going to – try to buy some sort of radioactive substance that I can use to kill somebody and make it look like cancer. Only only Segway Boy could find himself in that situation, and hopefully he will be a guest of the federal government for decades now. All right. I, I started hearing about this with when my my email box exploded last night with people who either were going to the Ed Sheeran concert at Miller Park or were trying to get home during rush hour, and they were running into traffic caused by the Ed Sheeran concert at, at Miller Park. Now, let me kind of back into this. As somebody who goes to a lot of concerts, parking is always one of the hassles. If you go to shows at Alpine Valley, or if you went to shows at Alpine Valley um, in, in in East Troy during during its heyday, you knew that getting into, and particularly getting out of that venue is an absolute nightmare because there's one two-lane road. And when you have 35,000 people, particularly leaving a show at the same time, it, it's just a nightmare. Just just prepare for the fact that it's going to take you, unless you leave early, and who wants to leave early? Unless you leave early, it's going to take you an hour probably just to get out of the parking lot. I went to a Jimmy Buffett show in San Diego last year, last fall, 
And it was just, again, it was the same sort of thing. It was at this place called Chula Vista, which is south of San Diego. It was just, there's like two roads going in, two roads going out. It was an absolute nightmare. But you you understand it's going to be like that. I went to a Buffett concert in Las Vegas on Saturday. That That's one of the great things. I was staying at the MGM Grand Hotel. The performance was at the MGM Grand no problem. You, you you walk over, you walk in, 15 minutes, you're in the venue, and then 10 minutes to get out. It, it was one of the appeals of seeing shows in that sort of environment. But you understand when you go to shows, there's going to be a hassle with parking. Well, apparently, this concert at Miller Park that has been a little bit controversial from the jump because it was originally going to be scheduled for Tuesday, but because the, the Brewers had the Game 7 on Saturday night and the time it took to do the load-in for the show, they couldn't get it done by Tuesday, so they had to push the show back till Wednesday. So you had 40,000 people that were coming to Miller Park. There was controversy because there were some people who had made arrangements to travel, for example, to Milwaukee on Tuesday, and now they had to readjust their plans or give up their tickets or whatever. And that's, I, I understand why they'd be a little bit bummed out about that, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast sometimes. Concerts do, in fact, get rescheduled. And some people were critical of the Brewers for not announcing it soon enough. I, I don't know that I think that that was necessarily fair. But regardless, concert was yesterday. Well, all right, by all accounts, it was get the concert was great. I am told the concert was absolutely great. But getting into the concert was a cluster bumble. At least that's what I'm being told. Here's the way, for example, Channel 4 is reporting this. Um, Pop star Ed Sheeran played a sold-out concert to fans at Miller Park Wednesday night, but plenty of people nearly missed him because of traffic getting into the parking lot. I left Ocanto today at 3 p.m. to make sure we'd have plenty of time to get to the park. Hit 94 at 545, didn't get into the show until 915 because of that nightmare that you called parking. Another one says, it should not take me more than three hours to get to the from the airport to Miller Park, says Laura something or other. This is ridiculous. Many missed the opener. Many me- nearly missed the headliner. And apparently, I mean, the conversation is, it was just terrible. It took hours and hours and hours. People are saying traffic was completely at a standstill. Um, what apparently happened is some parking lots that were supposed to be open weren't open. It was just a, a major league mess. Now, to their credit, to their credit, the you know the Brewers have have come out with a, a statement, and the Brewers, what they say is, we are aware that there was significant congestion on several major routes as people traveled to Miller Park last night, and the process of moving cars into the lots was slower than anticipated. Our goal is always to provide the best fan experience possible, and for many fans last night, we did not deliver. There are several factors related to hosting a concert that are different than a baseball game that created challenges. Regardless, we need to do better, and we apologize for the inconvenience. Let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did you get caught in this traffic mess last night, either trying to get to the concert or trying to get home and caught in traffic along 94 or Miller Parkway or whatever of other people who were trying to get to the concert? 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were you caught in this, and, and how bad was it really as bad as some people are indicating it was? I don't know for sure, and the brewers aren't giving details. I would guess, and this would just be a guess, that with the rescheduling it, 
Maybe they had people who were lined up to work on Tuesday who you know didn't show up on Wednesday and they just weren't prepared for this. But it, it sounds like it was a complete and total mess. Were you caught in this? And how bad was it? The Brewers say they're sorry. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. My company was hired to transport Snow Patrol. That was one of the opening acts to and from Miller Park. In my opinion, it was a disaster because they had half the parking staff normal that they normally have, and even the staff that was there didn't know what was going on. It wasn't the regular parking staff that knew how to handle that volume. And my guess is, I mean, part of the reason they probably had half the parking staff is the baseball season is over. They reschedule it to a different day, and they just weren't ready for this. Kim in Wales. Kim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I went to the Ed Sheeran concert last night and was stuck in traffic for about two hours and 20 minutes. And we, I live, I picked up my sister from New Berlin. And from New Berlin into the stadium, it took me over two hours and 20 minutes to get into the concert. And so normally that's like 15 or 20 minutes, right? 15, 20 minute drive. Mm-hmm. And so when we waited, we kept trying to get off in different exits and everything else. And we went to um, talk to one of the people who were finally taking our entrance to get into the park, or into parking. And she said, she admitted it's because that they were just understaffed. Yeah. And they did not staff the park enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that then that would be my guess. It's the the baseball season over. Right. You you know maybe you had people lined up and ready to be there on Tuesday, but then it's rescheduled. So people that are committed to work on Tuesday, well maybe they can't work on Wednesday. But it was a nightmare for you, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a nightmare. And I mean, and people were not. Everyone's talking their horns. You know, everyone's <laughs> trying to get over into different lanes, and that causes more congestion, of course, and then work traffic. You know, on top of it, it was just a nightmare to get there. Yeah. Was yeah. was the, was the show worth it? It was definitely worth it. Okay. Like, we were calling friends who did make it in and said the stadium was empty at basically empty at eight o'clock because people, so many people, were still trying to get into the concert. Uh, yeah. No, no. Thanks for the call. No. And that, that's. I think that's that's typical. Of what happened, Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thank you, sir. Um, yes, it was. Um, I've never been involved in something like that in all the years I've been driving in the Milwaukee area. I was coming in from out of town on 94 East, and specifically planned to arrive after the worst of drive time. Okay. Were you going to the show or just no, coming into town? Okay, just got it. coming into town, was out of town. Got it. And uh, I wound up getting off at the 84th Street exit, and that, I've never experienced anything like that. It took a long time just to get off the exit ramp and to get on to 84th. So then get up to uh, Blue Mound and turn right, come east, because I live on the east side, and... That was all congested. So, okay, I went over to Wisconsin. That was congested. Right. And then eventually I went, uh, I got off at uh, 60th and uh, came uh, uh, north a while. And I think it eventually settled down when I got onto State Street. Right. But you never seen anything like that in your life. Never. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, no. Thanks for calling. And again, this is this is kind of t- and, and look, the Brewers understand that that they they screwed up. And I don't mean this to be a blast the Brewers type of thing. And I'm thrilled that they're using the Miller Park venue for concerts. I, I think that's great, and I think it's probably a great place to see a concert. But this is one where you you got to learn from it. And I, look, and I I appreciate that. You know, at the same time, there, there's always going to be a parking hassle. Like I said at the start to this, I, I used to go to shows, still do to an extent at, at Alpine Valley, and you understand it's going to be a mess, but. But I, I don't know that you would think that this concert 
this, getting into this concert shouldn't have been any worse than getting into a Brewers playoff game. And they were able to figure out how to do that. And maybe moving forward, one of the priorities needs to be, if we're going to have these concerts, we have to make sure that we have a, enough parking attendants who are there and we have the lots open early enough and we know what we're doing. Because, again, I'm hearing from a number of people who said, yeah, the stadium was pretty much empty in the beginning because nobody could get there. 238, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We need your help to raise the beam. Eric Bilstadt's new WTMJ Care Project hopes to raise money for Wisconsin's 9-11 Memorial in Kewaskum. Check out what it will look like and how you can help. All you have to do is text us the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, 414-799-1620. WTMJ Cares is presented by First Bank Financial. All right. I am a newspaper junkie. All right, I, I just, I, I am. I grew up reading newspapers, and aside from the fact that, you know, you, you have, I think, a lot of the major newspapers that, that have this huge bent to the left, nevertheless, I mean, I, I like the information. I like the newspapers and all. Now, I, I am weaning myself from my newspaper addiction, I, I'll, and I, I've told this story before about the local newspaper, the Journal Sentinel, and this isn't intended as a bash the Journal Sentinel, but it, it's a launching point for the larger topic. I, I've been a subscriber to the Journal Sentinel Probably, you know, going back to the seventies. I mean, when it probably after I got out of college, and then the paper started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it was a year or two ago, maybe even less than that. I I get the renewal bill, and they wanted four hundred plus dollars for the newspaper seven days a week. And I, 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 that's crazy. I mean, I just I wasn't getting four hundred dollars worth of use out of it. So I call them up, and they say, "Well, Mister Wagner, you've been a subscriber forever. We'll offer you a special deal." I say, "Great." $330 $330 or whatever it was. I said, no, that's, that's not it. I'm, it's, I'm just not getting that. And then I said, well, how about the digital thing? And the, so now I signed up for digital and it's like $10 a quarter. Maybe it's not even that much. It, it might be because they had some special deal going or something, but it's, it's 20 or 30 or maybe 40 bucks a year. And, and yes, it is, it took me about three days. I was explaining this to, um, one of my friends, Mike, last night, that it, it, it took me about three days to adjust. But you can even you get all the stuff on the, on the web. And if you want to see what the print edition looks like, you can click on that and, and you can see it. You can read the funnies that way and all. And it took me about three days to adjust to doing that. And I adjusted fine. And instead of paying 400 what dollars, I, you know, to do it for 30 or 40 or, or whatever it is and still get access to that to the information. Well, there's uh, the, the Badger Institute has a, a, a new report that's talking about, like, the future of, of newspapers. And the story is based on, it talks about how they're, they're failing to disclose left-wing funding sources. It's by Dan Benson. came out a, a couple of days ago. But the numbers were just staggering to me. All right. Now, uh, the, the, local, the Journal Sentinel, which is now owned by Gannett, then uh, they own 10 other newspapers besides the Journal Sentinel, including like the Appleton Post-Crescent, the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Oshkosh Northwestern, and Sheboygan Press. And Gannett is, is USA Today. So, I mean, that's why there's a lot of stuff you see in USA Today that might be in some of the local papers as well. Okay, but but here's the deal. 1985, the Milwaukee Journal's Sunday paper, and the Sunday paper is always the big one, 1985, Papers, 600,000. After the Journal Sentinel merged, we used to have, if you're new to the area, there used to be the Milwaukee Journal, which was the afternoon paper, 
and the Milwaukee Sentinel, which was the morning paper. And believe it or not, they had separate staffs and they actually competed against each other. I mean, when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office, there was a reporter from the Journal and a reporter from the Sentinel that was assigned to the federal building. And they actually competed and they tried to get stories and they covered trials and they did all this stuff. Well, OK, that that doesn't happen anymore. But after the 1995 merger between the Journal and Sentinel, um, the the Sunday the Sunday paper, let's see, um, was four hundred and sixty six thousand. So it was six hundred thousand and eighty five, which was the peak. 466,000 in 1995. So 20 plus years later. Drew, would you like to guess, you know, what the Sunday Journal circulation is? And this is according to, um, documents that they published on October 3rd. Would you like to guess what the circulation is, is now? Well, it's, okay, so what happened is, it's gone down from 466,000. It's now down the Sunday paper circulation. Their official numbers are 143,000 papers. Um, unofficial, they say it's 134,000. But the bottom line is it's, it's, uh, it's down by two-thirds. It, it is staggering. The daily subscriptions are even more dramatic. All right, the daily circulation, <clears throat> let me see. Um, 1985, 375,000 people took the journal. 1995, after, 1995, after the merger, 328,000. They now say officially the circulation is down to 99,000. It's a third of what it was. And according to the story I'm looking at, the real numbers are lower than that, down to like 82,000 daily. And, what they're saying is that the the number of digital subscribers there's only about twenty eight thousand, so that it, it hasn't come close to replacing, you know, the people who have done away with their subscriptions. Now, I, I'm a newspaper junkie. I, like I say, I, I love it, but at the same time, you look at this and, and you look at this sort of dramatic decline. And of course, this is just in subscriptions, and and you know the papers that people are taking. I, you you add into other things, and of course, you know whether it's classified advertising, and almost nobody you know uses the newspaper for classified advertising anymore. That's all the internet, and of course, then you have the, the regular advertising, and you do see advertising, but it's a it's it's a fraction of what it was again in the heyday of newspapers. You look at these type of numbers, and you you wonder, you know, can can newspapers can a daily newspaper so can it survive moving forward and with this kind of bleeding of subscribers? And I guess I was stunned that it has been as dramatic as it was. I knew they were losing circulation. I knew there were lots of people that were bailing on this. But I'm not just talking about the Journal Sentinel. This is true of newspapers all across the country. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Five years from now, ten years from now, Will there still be daily newspapers delivered to your door in the morning? Or <clears throat> is this is this going to go the way of, of Betamax tapes and blockbuster video and things like that? Will we still have home delivery or just daily newspapers? Or is it all going to be Internet? What's the future? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. 245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. These numbers are staggering. And again, I don't mean to, I really don't intend to pick on the Journal Sentinel, but you look at where they were 20 years ago and where they are now, and you've dropped two thirds of your circulation, maybe more than that. And my guess is more people going and leaving every day. And this idea that we're going to get people doing digital, well, that doesn't appear to be the case. Either. Here's another number. Nationwide, only 18% of Americans say newspapers are their primary source of news, while 78% of those younger than 50 say they get most of their news through social media. Gru, who is producing the show, you are under 40. Do you know? You don't get the daily newspaper, do you? Maybe, yeah, okay. Um, you said you'd get a weekend if you could afford it, but it, it's the cost. Do you, your friends, do you, I mean, they don't get daily newspapers, do they? Do you know anybody? No. Nobody. Yeah, exactly. That's that is not atypical. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Russ in Lake Geneva. Hi, Russ. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, uh, I'm sixty two. I've been getting the Sentinel Journal since I was about eight. Read about the Packers, the Badgers, right? You know, Braves, Brewers, whatever. Love the Journal Sentinel sports section. I can't say that anymore. You know, since is it Jeanette uh, Publishing? Jeanette. You know, yeah. they, they used to put like the major league averages in the Sunday paper. You know, they don't do stuff like that anymore. The high school stuff is, is, is barely there. Right. And, uh, you know, the local section. I was a big fan of the local section. That was about 10, 12, 14 pages sometimes. Yep. Now, you know, that's gone. Right. And, and the price has gone up. You know, we pay $4 for a Sunday paper. And, you know, I kind of, the Packers win. You know, I'll buy a Monday paper. You know, right. it kind of all revolves around what's going on with sports. I, love, I, I just don't like looking at the news. Well, news on, on a computer. Right. Well, you know, but I, and I tell you the other thing, right? You're talking about sports. Even nowadays, they they don't have, because of the early press times, if the game ends after, what, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever, they don't have the results of that in there, you know? So yeah. you, you want to find out the brewer how the Brewers turned out. Well, it, it's not going to be in the daily paper anymore. Jeff, thanks for bringing that up because I actually called the sports editor the Central Journal about six months ago and I asked him. He goes, yeah, if, if, if the game ends after 9.30, you're not going to see it in, in other... <laughs> Areas besides more. Yeah. No. Th- so why? I mean, why? So then, why bother? I, I, again, it, it. And I look. I understand. It's all the economics of this. You. You have. You have very little classified advertising anymore. So you have a, the cut, and you. And of course, there is an expense to print, print printing the papers. No question about that. Very little classified advertising. The number of other forms of the print advertising declining. Subscribers declining. And, and so you, you have to cut back, and you have to cut back, and you have to cut back. But and I don't think this is unique to the Journal Sentinel. I'll tell you this. I mean, I think. Not not today, not tomorrow, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next 10 years, the, the daily newspaper for local newspapers, it's all digital. I, I think that's inevitably where it, it's going. And there'll be national newspapers. There'll be the New York Times. There'll be the Wall Street Journal. There'll be the Washington Post. But, but beyond those with the national presence, I, I think for... The, the local newspapers, I, I think they're going the way of the dinosaur. And, and you just, all you got to do is you got to look at the numbers out, out of Milwaukee and you see that that's where the trend is. Let's see. Um, uh, let's go to, uh, uh, let's see. I just, here's a text. Just canceled the Journal Sentinel. I only received Wednesday and Sunday. The price was raised to $87 for three months. That's ridiculous. I get the Wall Street Journal six days a week. I'll get local news on TV or, Maybe radio as well. Mike says, newspapers will die. Only coupons and flyers will survive. They need to change the name from newspapers to history of yesterday. Let's talk to Dave on the south side. Hi, Dave. Uh, yeah, Dave on the south side, yes, sir. Jeff. 
Yeah, I, I think the only reason they'll survive is because they uh, they don't just own the Journal Sentinel. They control the USA Today too. Right. So that's that's uh, you know, as long as they have both in the same area, I think they'll be all right with controlling both. Yeah. Well, I guess I mean, thanks, Dave. I I would maybe argue that it's more likely to go the other way. As, as long as you're going to have the USA Today, which is the national paper, which will always have them. People are going to be traveling. That's the thing you pick up in the hotels or whatever. As long as you've got the USA Today, do you need to spend money on? on the local newspaper, or will the paper be the USA Today with maybe two pages devoted to Wisconsin? Um, don't know. All right, here's another text. I enjoy my morning paper. With the continued rate increases for the print edition and the reduction of printed news within, I doubt if you will see print editions within the next three years. I am definitely not a fan of electronic news. Well, but that's kind of the reality. And as, um, as, I, as I say... That the again, it, it took me three days to get used to. I so I'll, I, I mean, I, I've got the. I'm one of the digital subscribers. I, I go through it. I, I read the stories that are there, you know, online. And then one of the things I do is I always then call up the e edition because I want to see where stories are placed in case I want to talk to them. And and I do. I mean, I do. I read the funnies. I'm old fashioned. I still I read the funnies, and it's just easier to do it that way. But it, it took me three days to get used to doing it. So now I I'm used to doing it. And if I can learn to do it at my age, my guess is other people my age can learn to do it. But younger people, to the extent that they want the news, that's how they're going to be doing it, period. Kevin from Belgium sends me a text. I've been driving two miles on Highway I in Cedarburg. I have not passed one newspaper box. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, you look at these numbers and it's just kind of staggering. 255, this is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.